0: Father, we are thankful that uh, we can be together as a group of, of people that love you and you give us love for each other, Lord. And uh, uh, we can laugh about things, even though many of us here, our hearts are in pain from some of the things that life has brought our way. But you bring us together. You love us. You give us your word. You give us encouragement through those that you around us. And we get to look forward to the message Phil has today, God, on uh, what your word does for us. So open up our ears, our hearts, and our minds. And let each person leave today with something that they say, that was amazing, God, how you spoke to me today and helped me. So that's our prayer. And we pray and ask these things in the precious name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Dean. I hope you brought a Bible with you today. We have been studying the armor of God. We're going to continue on. But one of the pieces of the armor is directly tied to your Bible. If you don't have one, There are some Bibles in the chair racks in front of you, beside you, behind you. I encourage you to grab hold of one of those so that you can see what we are looking at for yourself today. If you're following along on your phone or on an iPad, that's great as well. Just make sure that you stay with us as we go through these scriptures. We're going to be talking about the sword of the Spirit, which the Bible will tell us is the Word of God. That's why I really want you to see this for yourself. So make sure you go through all of it with us. There's going to be some scripture we'll put up on the screen. Look it up a little bit later. Get your, well, get your mind and your heart into the Word, and you will pick up the sword. And hopefully that will make sense to you as we go through the rest of this message. A fellow named Kenny Thomas is a retired Army Ranger. He was a staff sergeant when he retired. He was in the last official battle in Mogadishu in Somalia. He has written about that confrontation. He's written about his time in the Rangers, but a lot of his book centers around what happened in Mogadishu. I really like the way he says this. The Army Rangers have a motto, train as you fight, fight as you train. Kenny goes on to say that the Boy Scouts have a motto very similar to that. It's simple, be prepared. When he ties those two things together, he says the Army Rangers and the Boy Scouts both understand something. At the end of the day, you will only be as good as you have prepared to be. That's really a good statement. At the end of the day, you will only be as good as you have prepared to be. Now that is true not only for the Rangers and the Boy Scouts, it is true for Christians as well. Particularly in the realm of spiritual warfare. At the end of the day, you will only be as good as you have prepared yourself to be. Kind of reminds me of the story of the guy that went to New York City, he wanted to go to Carnegie Hall. He was driving all over the city, he couldn't find the place, and got more and more lost as he went. and. Finally, he saw a lady walking down the sidewalk carrying a violin case, and he thought to himself, if you're walking through New York City carrying a violin case, you're probably on your way to Carnegie Hall. So he rolled down his window, and he asked that lady how to find Carnegie. She said, practice, and then just kept on walking, (laughs) and that was it. Well, that's a good statement. She was thinking from her realm, that's how I'm getting to Carnegie Hall, and that's why I'm carrying this violin, and everybody else needs to do the same thing. You need to practice. Well, that is true, even in the armor of God, but particularly with the sword of the Spirit. Let's go to the book of Ephesians again. If you've been with us the past few weeks, you know that we have been tearing apart this passage, looking at all kinds of different things. I want us to read it together once again starting in verse 10 of chapter 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now there, Paul has just laid out for us what the battle looks like. It is raging in the heavenly realms, and we need to be prepared for it. Therefore, we put on the full armor of God. Listen to these. Verse 13, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith which with, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation. Now, up to this point, all of the pieces of the armor that Paul is detailing seem to be somewhat passive. We pick them up, we put them on. They're tied together with the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness rest against it. Our feet are fitted with the readiness that comes to the gospel of the peace. We pick up the shield of faith. We put on the helmet of salvation, fairly passive. But now he's talking about a part of the armor that is anything but passive. It is a proactive weapon. This again is in verse 17. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer, and supplication. There's this subtle turn within the armor of God where we are no longer on the defensive. We're no longer putting on parts of the armor that are meant to protect us. We are picking up a part of the armor, the sword of the spirit that is designed for us to use as we run into battle. It's an offensive weapon, and we have to learn how to use it. I am so thankful that even though Paul gives it just a little bit of press in the midst of this discourse, he tells us exactly what the sword of the Spirit is. It is the Word of God. It is your Bible. That's the sword. And my friends, if you're going to be effective with it, it takes practice. You have to train with it. You have to be familiar with your Bible. It is not enough for you to own one and set it on the coffee table at home and believe that you are prepared for battle. It's not enough for you to bring it to church and then throw it into the back seat of the truck on the way home and never touch it again till the following Sunday. That's not the type of practice that is required for the sword of the Spirit. You have to get to know it. You have to be familiar with it and you have to use it. It is the Word of God given to us for a specific reason that we might know the heart of God. And one of the reasons underneath that is that we might be effective in battle. Train as you fight. Fight as you train. Be prepared, because at the end of the day, you will only be as good as you have prepared yourself to be. That is true with the sword of the Spirit. This morning, I want us to take a look at how this sword works, how it's designed, and how we are supposed to use it. So let's just get into that. In order to really pick it apart, we have to look at what swords were designed for during the days of the New Testament. They were not decorative pieces to be hung on the wall. They weren't conversation pieces that were just supposed to spark interesting talks between you and your friends. Swords were not designed for whittling or shaving. They weren't to be leaned up in a corner and talked about. Swords during the days of the Bible, the Old Testament and the New, were designed for a singular purpose, for killing. That's what they were for. From the book of Genesis all the way through to the book of Revelation, we will see example after example after example of swords being used the way they were designed. Let me show you just four of them this morning. We're going to put them up on the screen if you have your phone with you. Take a picture of these so that you can look them up later. If you have an iPad with you, take a picture. Write them down, whatever you need to do. But let's go through them just real quick. In 1 Samuel chapter 31, Saul, King Saul falls on his sword. The battle is almost over. He asks his armor bearer to run him through, to take his life. His armor bearer says no. So King Saul takes out his own sword and he falls on it. Swords were designed for killing. In Acts chapter 12, verse 2, James is killed by the sword. At Herod's command, James is killed by the sword. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 37, we find saints that are martyred, and the Bible uses this explicit term, by the sword. In John chapter 18, verse 10, Peter pulls out a sword that he has used or actually purchased for the sole purpose of trying to protect Jesus and to protect the gospel, not understanding what Jesus meant when he told them to find a sword. So when they came to arrest the Lord, Peter pulled out this sword intending to kill the Roman soldier that was going to grab hold of his Lord. He missed, cut his ear off. Jesus reached down, picked up Malchus's ear, put it back on his head, beautiful miracle, sent him on his way. Peter misunderstood what was happening, but we need to not make any mistake about what his intention was. It was to kill Malchus. In the book of Revelation, we will read again about more saints that will be martyred explicitly by the sword. They will die by the sword. That was the purpose of swords during the writing of the Bible. We cannot believe anything other than that. So that leads us to a place then where we ask questions like this If the Bible is the sword of the Spirit and the intention of every sword was to kill, who are we supposed to kill? Is that really God's command? Who are we supposed to kill? We're talking about spiritual warfare, so we might believe, even subtly believe, that it is our responsibility to kill the devil. That is not your job. That is not my job. That is reserved solely for God Himself. He will deal with Satan when the time comes. Interestingly enough, the Bible teaches that He will not kill him. Death would be too good for his greatest enemy. He has created a place. Remember, He is the creator of all. God has created a place called the Lake of Fire. When the time comes, Satan will be thrown there. There is a special place reserved for Him in that lake. God will take care of Him when the time is right. It is not your place to believe that you are supposed to kill Satan. Well, that still leaves us then with this question. If the Bible is the sword of the Spirit and swords were designed for killing, who are we supposed to kill? Well, as we get into the Bible, we find out that it isn't really a who as much as a what. Let me show you what I'm talking about. In order to get there, we need to take a close look at how the sword of the Spirit is designed. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Hebrews 4, verse 12. "'For the Word of God is living and active.'" sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. The sword of the Spirit is designed for battle in the spiritual realm, in the soul and the spirit, and it's sharp. It is designed very well. The Bible itself would say that the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, is sharper than any two-edged sword. It is so sharp that it has the ability in the realm of your soul and spirit to cut away everything that is evil that good might flourish, to cut away everything of the flesh that the spirit might take over. What we are killing with this sword that is designed very well for that purpose is our old way of life. It's the flesh. The Bible helps us do that by showing us what is important to God what sits in his heart, that it might become important to us and become a part of our heart. The Bible, the sword of the Spirit, cuts away all the things of the flesh, all the things of the world, so that what remains within God's children is God's heart. It is designed for that realm, and it's designed very, very well, so that it can separate good from evil, so that it can kill the old self that the the new self might live. One of the interesting things about this sword is, yes, it is designed for killing, but it is designed to bring life. That's kind of a little twist on the sword of the Spirit versus every other type of sword. It is not simply designed to kill and bring death, but rather to bring life. Now, let's go to the book of Romans together, and I'll show you what I'm talking about. When we get there, we are going to jump into the deep water of the Bible. So I'm hoping that you will swim with me as we go through this. It takes great understanding to explore this passage, so follow me through it. We're in Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 12. Paul's the author of these words. He says, "'So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die.'" provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Now, go back with me to verse 12 and listen closely. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now, the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. Paul's teaching that if by the Spirit, using this sword, our flesh dies, we will live. That's the design of this sword, to bring life, to put to death the flesh, the old way of living, that you might live this new life in Christ. That's what we're after. The book of Ephesians shows us exactly what that looks like. Go back there with me to chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4. If you have learned about Christ, if you have accepted Jesus, then Paul is saying that your desire should be to become more and more like God, more and more like Him. That should be your goal, to become as righteous and as holy as you can. I want to remind you that righteousness simply means right standing with God. If you are in Christ, it is not enough for you to say, I just want to be saved, I just want to go to heaven. I just want to be forgiven for my sins. It is only enough when you can say, I want to be like Christ. I want to grow in that relationship so that when I stand before God, I can hear Him say, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's the goal. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, makes that possible for us. The sword of the Spirit is designed to kill the old person that the new person might live. And if you are in Christ, that should be your heart's desire. Well, you might say, that sounds great, preacher. It really does, but I don't know how that works. I don't know how to use this. You're talking about practicing. I I don't have any idea how to pull that off. Well, I want to spend the remainder of our time helping you figure that out. But I do want you to know that a lot of the responsibility in figuring out how to use the Word of God rests on your shoulders. You can't expect other people to do it for you. You have got to spend enough time with God's Word that it becomes familiar to you so that you can become effective with it. You will only be as good as you have prepared yourself to be. So let me show you how to get started. It begins with what I refer to as developing an appetite for the Word of God. There are four places in the Bible where we are encouraged, or actually different people are encouraged, to literally eat the Word. We're going to just put them up here for you. Again, you can look these up later. I'm going to show you only one of them, the first one out of Ezekiel chapter 3. Now, if you brought your Bibles with you, I want you to turn there along with me. Ezekiel chapter 3. It can be kind of a hard book to find. Go to the book of Jeremiah in the Old Testament. Turn right one book, you'll be in Ezekiel If that doesn't help, Psalms is in the middle of your Bible. Go right to the middle and start turning right. You will run into Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 3, starting in verse 1. And he said to me, Son of man, eat whatever you find here. Eat this scroll and go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he gave me this scroll to eat. And he said to me, son of man, feed your belly with this scroll that I give you and fill your stomach with it. Listen, then I ate it and it was in my mouth as sweet as honey. God said to Ezekiel, I want you to physically consume this scroll. I want you to eat the word of God. Well, we don't have to figuratively do that, but metaphorically it still works. We have to consume the word of God. And the only way that that's going to happen is for us to develop a craving for it, a desire for it. I desire meat every day, every day. I don't believe that any day should go by without consuming meat. That's just a standard in our house and in my life. I have never developed a craving for broccoli. That is a vile weed that should not be consumed. But meat, I don't care. Fish, chicken, beef, doesn't matter. I have a strong desire for it, a craving for it, and I want it every day. You think about things that you would want to eat every day. I asked the guys I pray with on Sunday mornings to answer that question for me. Matt Warner said that if he could only choose one thing that he would eat every day for the rest of his life, it would be authentic Mexican food he craves it. Jim England, if we were to ask him that question, would say a hamburger. He just wants to eat a hamburger every day, be perfectly happy eating a hamburger every day. Well, think just a minute about what you would eat if you had everything else removed from the menu and only one thing remained. What would you want? David Bulwer? Pie. Pie. It would have to be pie. Deanie, what would it be for you? He just wants food, a buffet. That's all. And I've seen Denny eat, and that is very true. He just wants a buffet, and he'd be happy with that. Well, think about what it is that you would crave that is to you as sweet as honey in your mouth. This is what you would want more than anything else. Well, when we take that idea and we apply it to the Word of God and we develop that type of craving for it, we want it every day. You have to get to a place where you are wanting the Word of God every day. You want it to be in your life. You want to be familiar with it, that in your mouth it might be as sweet as honey. You're craving it. You're craving it. And once you get to that point, then it takes you to the next step, and Joshua helps us see what that is. Let's go to his book, Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. God says to Joshua, This book of the law, meaning the Bible, shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. Once you have developed a craving, it allows you to digest the Bible so that you can meditate on it day and night. It will be the first thing you think of in the morning and the last thing you think of at night. And then when you need it, it will come back just in the moments that you need it the most because you are so familiar with it. The only way we can get to the place where we are meditating on the Word of God day and night is to fall in love with it. It comes out of a love relationship. Wayne Basseri understands that pretty well. His love relationship is not with the Bible, it's with something else, evidenced in the company that he owns. Six years ago, Wayne started a manufacturing company for high-end shotguns. He did that when the economy was not in a great place. An interviewer asked him, why would you do this? Why would you start this business in this type of an economy? And Wayne said, well, that's simple. I love shotguns. He didn't hesitate, he just said... I love shotguns, so I started manufacturing them and selling them along with a partner. Wayne says that his love of shotguns began when he was pretty young. He grew up hunting ducks in Louisiana, and after that, he became a competitive skeet shooter, professional competitive skeet shooter. He describes himself this way, he was too good to quit and not good enough to win. Isn't that an interesting description? He was too good to quit, not good enough to win. But he wanted to make money out of this passion that he had deep within him, so he started this business, this manufacturing business. Wayne goes on to say that his love affair with shotguns actually began very early. He remembers it this way. His father came to him and told him that he had a surprise for him, picked him up one day after school, said, got a surprise for you. Wayne said, is it a shotgun? And his dad said, no, it's a baby sister. Wayne said, believe I'd rather have the shotgun. A few months later, his parents surprised him, gave him a, a Sears pump shotgun, and he fell in love from that moment forward. He held that shotgun every day, threw it up on his shoulder, no seasons were open, he couldn't go shoot anything, but he practiced all the time, throwing it up on his shoulder and visualizing the birds in front of him. He would tear it apart and clean it and put it back together. And he even says that he slept with that shotgun. His mother was kind of concerned about that, said to his father, he's sleeping with his shotgun, is that a problem? His dad said, that's a man thing, the boy will be fine. And they just left him sleeping with the shotgun. He loved everything about it. We can apply the same idea to the Word of God when we are holding it all the time. When we are practicing with it. When we're tearing it apart and getting into it when we are developing an understanding for it and there are all kinds of resources that will help because i'm not ignorant to the fact that a lot of people say it's hard to understand to just open up and start reading well you're going to have to have some other resources and there are many that can help a lot of them are online and easy to get a hold of today that will help you understand what you are reading but it's never going to matter until you are holding it in your hands all the time, sleeping with it, carrying it everywhere with you so that you have a love relationship with the Word of God. It is the gateway to a love relationship with God. Pay attention to what the book says. Pay attention to what God says through it. You meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do all that is written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Pay attention to the Word of God. Get familiar with it. Digest it. Once you have that craving for it and it is in your mouth as sweet as honey, digest it. Meditate on it. And then you will find yourself in a place of spiritual battle where you can pick up the sword of the Spirit. I'm going to let King David take over the teaching part on this. It's a simple verse that is full of great wisdom and power. Book of Psalms. Chapter 119, verse 11. Psalm 119:11. David says, "I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Once you have craved the Word of God and it has found its way to your lips, and you have digested it, and you are meditating on it day and night. And you are finding the prosperous life that God promises by following His Word. And the sword is cutting away all of the flesh and the Spirit is thriving. All of those things are happening. You are still going to come under attack. And if you want to use the sword of the Spirit to the best of your ability, then you have to understand that you're not always going to have a Bible in your hands. So David says, you store it up in your heart. You memorize the Word of God. You commit it. To your heart and to your mind, so that when you need it the most, it will be there. Right now, some of you are thinking, Preacher, that is all well and good, but I don't memorize well. Well, then maybe you need a little bit of encouragement. During the days of Jesus, and especially the days right before Jesus, little Jewish boys and girls were governed by a thing called the Mishnah. The Mishnah taught that at five years old, every little Jewish boy and girl was ready to start studying the Word of God. So they would go to school with a rabbi. The rabbi was the school teacher, the rabbi was the spiritual leader, the rabbi was the one who did all the discipling, particularly in communities, but oftentimes there were multiple rabbis within communities. You would go and study under the rabbi, and he would teach from the Torah the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. We also call it the Pentateuch. They would teach for five years out of those five books. By the age of 10, the Mishnah says that those little boys and girls were ready for the oral traditions of the Jewish faith to be added to the law. It took five years for them to get comfortable with the Pentateuch, and now they were ready for the oral traditions. They would study those for five years, and by the age of 15, they were ready to interpret the law according to the traditions. It would become their responsibility. The belief was they would know the law so personally and so well and the oral tradition so personally and so well that they would be able to actually interpret the meaning of the law. By the age of 18, the Mishnah taught that they should get married. By the age of 20, they should choose a career. And by the age of 30, they should be developing people underneath them understanding the law and the career path that they chose. And the key to all of that is this, according to the Mishnah, by the age of 10, every little Jewish boy and girl would have memorized the first five books of the Old Testament verbatim. Genesis has 50 chapters in it, and they would know every word. Exodus has 31 chapters in it. They would know every word. Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all five books would be memorized. The belief was that when it was so ingrained in them, they would walk according to the law because there would be no question about how they felt about certain things. They would know God's Word. So if you think you struggle to memorize Scripture, just picture that. Start memorizing some Scripture. That begins with figuring out how God feels about certain things. If you have never started this type of a discipline, and you need to, because to not leaves you exposed, potentially fatally exposed, to the attacks of the enemy. You pick up this sword. You get involved with this sword. And it starts by coming across new things in your life and asking this simple question, how does God feel about this? Then get into the Bible and find out. Quit worrying about other people's opinions or even your own opinion. You worry about how God feels about things. And once you have that reconciled, when you come across it the next time, you'll know. Then when you experience something new, and this can happen multiple times a day, you open up your Bible, you grab hold of the sword of the Spirit and ask yourself a simple question. How does God feel about this? And you start exploring the Word, the sword of the Spirit, to get that answer. And the next time you come across that issue in your life, you'll know and nobody else's opinion will matter, nor will yours. You will just know how God feels. You get into God's Word, into the sword of the Spirit, on such a daily basis that it is in your mouth as sweet as honey. You digest it and you meditate on it day and night, and you will know how God feels. And when you commit it to your Heart and to your mind, when you need it as a sword to battle against the enemy, it will be there and you'll be able to use it. Anything other than that leaves you weak and unprepared and exposed, potentially fatally. Why would you do that? Paul says we are in the battle of our lives and it's one that will rage into eternity, pick up the sword of the Spirit and get in the fight. But you cannot do it unarmed. I don't want to follow anybody into battle unarmed. Pick up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Fall in love with it and get to know it and use it. Use it as a weapon. It will protect your spiritual life. It will protect every other aspect of who you are, but it will protect your walk with God. Use it. Use it. Let me say that again. Use it because anything else is unacceptable. I want to show you as we close this out how this works. So I'm just going to give you three examples of how you can hide God's Word in your heart and be successful in spiritual battle. We're going to put them up on the screen so that you can see this. If these are your struggles, great. If you have other struggles, you just need to follow the same pattern. Let's take this first one. If you are by nature a negative person, you complain, you argue, you grumble, you only see the bad in everything. There are passages of Scripture that can help you. Passages like this one in Philippians chapter 2, verse 14, where Paul says very simply, do all things without complaining or arguing. That's just pretty simple. If you are a negative person and that is your default setting where you're always going to grumble against everything that's going on, then when you find yourself in one of those situations, you just pull out this verse. This is a part of the sword of the Spirit. And you tell yourself, nope, God wants me to do this without complaining or arguing. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to be that person that grumbles against everything because God doesn't want that in my life. And I have the sword to help cut that away. Cut it away and let the Spirit rise up. Maybe your struggle is with lust or pornography, and you need a passage of Scripture that can help you through it. Still in the book of Philippians, there's a great passage to help. This is in chapter 4, verse 8, where Paul says, whatever is pure, whatever is holy, whatever is right, think about such things. Rather than thinking about all of these other fleshly things that are surrounding you, whatever is pure, whatever is holy, whatever is right, in the moments of temptation, you pull that sword out, and you say it over and over and over again. Whatever's pure, whatever's holy, whatever's right, that's where my mind's going to go, not here. I'm not going to let my computer screen dictate what is happening in my life. I'm going to let the Word of God dictate those things. Maybe your battle is not with either of those issues. Maybe your battle is with your tongue. You speak words of anger and disrespect all the time. Or you have coarse words that come flying out of your mouth all the time, joking, and and you hide it under that, that you're just joking, but they're jokes that would offend God, and you want to stop that pattern, or you want to change your language. Well, there are passages of Scripture that help with that, like this one in James chapter 3. Listen to what he says, starting in verse 2. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. "'Able also to bridle his whole body. "'If we put bits into the mouths of horses "'so that they obey us, "'we guide their whole bodies as well. "'Look at the ships also. "'Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, "'they are guided by a very small rudder "'wherever the pilot directs. "'So also the tongue is a small member, "'yet it boasts of great things.'" Well, if we're going to control that tongue, if it's going to be like a bit in the mouth of a horse, We have to know what it looks like. So here you go, verse 9. With it, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Every time we open our mouth, there is a choice. I will either tear people down or I will bless God. I will either curse or I will bless God. In that moment where you're thinking about the former, choose the latter. I'm going to bless God. You memorize chapter 3 verse 9 of the book of James and James will help you in those moments so that in that point of temptation you're able to say, I better choose blessing God. I better choose praises because anything else is contrary to Him and I don't want to do it. That's the way it works. Find the passages that you need and you hide them in your heart. You store them up in your heart that you might not sin against God and when you need it, You draw the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and you hold the enemy at bay and live the victory. Live. That's the key. Don't die. Live.